Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. Time is of the essence in an emergency. The first 48 hours are crucial to solving a crime. How long would it take for your family to access important information if you're not there to give it to them? The ability to track locations, spending, who you spoke to, who you texted, any social media interactions, and more are vital information that can help any investigation. With Help You Find Me, you can easily create an If I Go Missing folder. You can use the template on Help You Find Me's website to get started. You can share it with friends and family and edit their permissions so they only see what they need to see. It takes about three minutes to create a fully secure file that is potentially life-saving. Your data is safe, encrypted, and protected. Only those you share it with can get access to it. At Writer Writer Pants on Fire, we have partnered with Help You Find Me to help you create your own digital secure If I Go Missing file. Go to helpyoufind.me forward slash writer and use the template to create your own file. So we're here with Lauren Kate, author of By Any Other Name. I am particularly excited about this one because it is set within the publishing world. That, of course, always has an interest for me as a writer and someone that is also operating within that world. But I think it also offers a great opportunity for readers who I think are instinctively interested in that. Having worked in the publishing world, it was such a fun and charged experience all the time really was as exciting, I think, as it's often portrayed in books and movies. Um, If you enjoy books, being surrounded by them, talking about them nonstop is very fun. And I, I loved getting to bring that to the page in this book. One of the things that I think is interesting about this book by any other name, it's not an autobiographical book, but in some ways it is based on things that happened to you in your life. Is that right? I think I put all these pieces that are autobiographical together and let them explode into something a bit more fictional. But yes, many pieces of this story that are based on my life. When I worked as a young editor at the publishing house, I worked with a really reclusive, mysterious author who I idolized and kind of had based a lot of my ideas about life on that writer's books. So that alone, the mystery around who that person actually was, was always in the back of my mind something I wanted to explore in a story. I never knew that I was going to make it a comedy. I never never knew that it was going to be romantic and fun in this way. That is one piece drawn from real life. And the other one was a big dramatic breakup that I had on the back of a motorcycle on the cliffs of the Amalfi Coast that I transformed to make myself the heroine I wish I had been in the moment. Tell me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hindsight's 20-20 and with breakups especially, oh my God, I've been through my share. And Yeah, um, yeah. you get to retell it the way it should have gone. 
Yeah, you get to retell it so that you come off perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So to open it up for listeners a little bit, why don't you let them know what By Any Other Name is about? Sure. So the main character of the story is Lainey Bloom. She's an editor at a publishing house, and she works on the books of this very prominent but reclusive romance novelist. And she, like me, has based a lot of her ideas about what love is and what a heroine in a love story is supposed to be like on this writer's books. But she's never met the writer. She has a vision in her mind of what they are, and it is a slightly older female mentor that she looks up to as a model. When she meets the writer in person, there's a a circumstance that forces them to meet each other. She is shocked and horrified to learn that the writer of her favorite books is a man and he's kind of a jerk. This throws a lot of her life into chaos. She starts second guessing all of the choices that she made based on these books that have meant so much to her, her career. She's in a relationship kind of inspired by these novels. She's engaged to be married and all of that begins to crumble. And as it does, she is surprised to begin to fall in love with the author of these books. So many things going on there. (laughs) (laughs) You do move and work and participate in the romance industry. You have these breakup stories in your past. And Mm -hmm. I do too. I mean, we all do. I don't know that this is necessarily true, but I do think I, as an individual, tend to shortchange real life men because they're (laughs) not living up to their fictional counterparts. (laughs) When I think about the romance industry and you know what a hero is supposed to be. And exactly. uh, These other guys need to step it up. And having had these experiences as a reader in this book, like this guy is perfect as a writer, then am kind of viewing it through this lens of this is a woman writing the ideal man. And I think if I were to discover it was actually a man yeah. writing it, yeah, I think that that would throw me a little bit. I don't know if that's sexist or not, but I think it would. And these are the questions and the arguments. What are our expectations about the origins of the stories that we believe in? And why do we assign different gender roles to them? And what does it mean to have them challenged? What's possible when you look beyond your conception of of who gets to tell what story? And I think that's really important because I have definitely had moments as a writer when I'm I'm writing a male character where I will seek out male friends and be like, hey, in this situation, if a male reacts like this, like what's the internal? Because I can see the external. What's going on internally? Because if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be divorced. (laughs) I do ask my husband sometimes, like I'll write the male side and then I'll share it with him and he'll make a couple of edits, like just change a sentence or two and it changes the entire interiority. But I'm like- That is a fascinating thing that I would never have known a man would feel. Yeah. And I think that men get shortchanged very often in the emotional depth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was an interesting thing to explore with this character, too, because he's all about emotional depth. I mean, he's writing vulnerable men and women as his career for a number of books, and that's his particular fascination. And so a lot of it is 
on his sleeve for, for Lainey and for the reader to experience. I guess the question for me was then, if there's a virtual or the writerly version of this person, and then there's the real life version of this person, mm-hmm. which one is true? Which one is right. real? The walls that come up in the real person, is that artifice? I like to think about the deep and true friendship that these characters developed online and via email and via books before they ever met in person. I didn't want to discount that. And that was a thing that the main character had to overcome, this feeling that, yes, they do actually have a history. They are actually friends. They are building on something that they started that was real. Even though she was operating under an assumption that was incorrect. She has to come to peace with, was that a lie or was that my own mischaracterization of who this person was? Yeah. And that's really interesting. Like, that's a really good question. It's like, if you're connecting with that person, knowing or even not knowing what their gender is, because, you know, I grew up and I assume you did as well in a world of interacting with screen names that Mm -hmm. their gender wasn't necessarily inferred by their name. So I had a friend that I became pretty close with that was a fellow writer on a writer's forum. We would just be interacting with each other on the forum and then there would be some DMs and then, you know, that relationship changed and like became more of a friendship because I think that when the internet first became a thing, it was really a question for a lot of people whether you can have online friends. Is that a real thing? Yeah. And now I think people realize, yes, it is. (laughs) We surrender. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You have a real relationship with this person. But I didn't know if that person was a man or a woman. Like we were just having these conversations and connecting about concepts and ideas and humor and our opinions about like other people. And it didn't matter. Did you ever find out? Yes, it was a man. And then Uh he ended up becoming a woman. We had an interesting conversation where... I was talking to this person and they were like, hey, you know, I know that we haven't actually like talked on the phone or you haven't seen me in a while. And I'm just letting you know, this is the thing that happens. And just like FYI. And I was like, well, you know, for two or three years of our friendship, I didn't know what your gender was. So it doesn't actually matter now either. You know, that is remarkable. That's a really cool story. I connected with you as a human and Mm -hmm. a person, whatever else is going on, it doesn't matter. Exactly. It's an interesting way to view human relationships. And I think once she begins making the connection into romance and falling for him, I do understand why she would then be like, well, wait a minute, is this predicated upon a lie? And she has a lot of questions. I I think because it rocked her so much to realize that there was a man behind the stories that were shaping her ideas of how to be a woman, she has a a lot of ethical questions about what she's perpetrating for the millions of women who read this writer's books. And she doesn't want to kind of be part of this lie if it is a lie. So that's the crux of what she's struggling with, even as she's trying to get him to write that next book that he's way past his deadline for, and even as she's falling in love with him. And of course, he's able to right all of these wrongs in the end. Um, And I I really liked making him reckon with the lie or the misconception that he had been living under for years. He has a kind of public reckoning with that that made me care for him a great deal. Was that something you planned or was that just like a character move that took you by surprise? I did always plan on the truth coming out to the public Mm -hmm. um, within Mm -hmm. this world. 
But originally I had a, like more of a nemesis character who, who exposed the backstory and what ultimately happened in, as I refined the drafts and moved deeper into my revision was I realized that it had to originate from the character and he had to make a choice to come clean, be open with his readership that shouldn't have come from anywhere else. That was the change organic and internal choice rather than being forced is pretty important. It's hard to see in in the outlining stage or the first draft because you know it's got to happen. It's just not as clear how it has to happen or how the characters are going to feel about it when it happens. For me, the second draft is like where the beautiful things begin to happen in, in my stories begins to feel like things are clicking into place. And so realizing that and knowing this has to be a self-directed move and like the bravery required for that, it feels really good. For me, when I'm writing a first draft, I'm learning those characters as I'm going. No matter how Mm -hmm. much planning, I don't really plan a lot, but I will be living with them inside my head for some time before I start writing it down. And I think that I know them, but the act of writing them is where I actually learn them. And oftentimes I've written that first draft. And when I go back to the beginning, when I'm editing, when I'm doing a second draft, I have to adjust the first five to six chapters because Mm. who they are changed. I like the little breadcrumbs that my subconscious leaves for me. In this book, I kept mentioning like something about her father, and then I would mention something about her grandmother. I wrote the whole first draft. Her mom never came on the page. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I got to put the mom in here somewhere. Why isn't the mom like ever weighing in on this? And I started to look closer, and I was like, the mom, she's not here. I can't find her. And then I realized that the mom was dead, and that her death was this formative experience that already had echoes in other places of the story waiting for me to just pick them up and use them. So many things fell into place once I realized she had this space in her heart that was left by her mom's death. I was just able to sort of move into the right places to address that, that I I never saw coming. Yes. I had a character recently, uh, my 2023 release, who was supposed to be type A good girl. And when I started writing her, she was mad. Like she Mm. was angry and there would be a lot of resentment and not necessarily sniping, but just internal anger that she bottled up and kept a lid on. And whenever I was writing her externally, what was going on with her internally was very different. And I was just like, well, hello. I didn't know that was in there. You, you're the only one who gets to see that side of them. They're not showing anyone else in their world this. Right. And it ended up being like absolutely perfect and and even driving the plot and changing the plot from what it was supposed to be. It was like, if she's an angry person, well, this changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Now you have your work cut out for you. That's amazing. I love when that happens. When they become real people, then I think you know that you've really hit something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, thank you. Thank you for being real. I don't have to do the work now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, totally. Create beautiful books with Vellum. Create ebooks for every platform with Vellum Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, and more. Each specialized file will guide readers to buy your next book in their store of choice. For print, choose your trim size, and Vellum does the rest, giving you a professional result 
Vellum 3.0 features 24 styles with 16 all-new designs. Each one allows for multiple configurations, giving you a new world of options for your books. Add a rich background behind the beginning of every chapter. You can even set the mood with white text on a dark background. Vellum comes with six illustrated backgrounds ready to use in your book, as well as a custom option where you provide your own. Also included in Vellum 3.0, new options for fonts, TikTok for social media, size control for custom ornamental breaks, and new trim sizes for your print books. Vellum. Create beautiful books. PubSite is the new, easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 50, PubSite gives you the tools to build, design, and update your website pain-free. Build your site with a 14-day free trial. PubSite is easy to use. You can set up a simple site within a couple of hours, and when you're ready, enhance with features like a blog, photo gallery, book tour calendar, mailing list sign-up, social media feeds, and more. Too busy to build your own site? Have a PubSite expert build your site for a small fee. PubSite is used by authors such as Tom Clancy, Robin Cook, and Janet Daly. Visit PubSite.com to get started now. Started in the midst of the pandemic, the founder of Hydronique Hydration, a frontline healthcare worker, began developing constant headaches due to not being properly hydrated while on the job. Available drinks with all the necessary vitamins and minerals also came with a ton of sugar and caffeine. That's why he created Hydronique Hydration, sugar-free, keto-friendly, plant-based, antioxidant-rich electrolyte powder packets for daily use. They contain all the essential vitamins and minerals with a refreshing taste. Hydronique Hydration also contains elderberry, which has immune-boosting properties for support during this cold and flu season. Hydronique Hydration electrolyte powder packets can also fit in your bag or suitcase when traveling, if you can remember traveling. So, if you have trouble drinking healthily during your busy days in 2022, but want a sugar-free, keto-friendly vitamin drink, give Hydronique Hydration a try. Each pouch contains 30 electrolyte powder packets, perfect for a one-month supply. Visit the website, hydroniquehydration.com. That's www.hydroniquehydration.com. Hydration. Com, or buy on Amazon, where there is currently a $10 coupon for a one-month supply. Visit hydroniquehydration.com to learn more. So you've written across genres. So you've written YA, you have written historical. You Obviously, you are also writing rom-coms. So I also write across genres. And I get a lot of questions that I don't want to ask to you because, <laughs> because I know what it's like to have someone say like, well, how does your process change? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just writing a book. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I think my question to you is more like, how do you 
prep like your readership for this? Do you look for crossover? Do you think people are following you? Or are you not worried about that and you're just writing what's in your heart? I am just writing what's in my heart. To me, the experience of writing every book is the same. And I, I almost feel like all my books, whether they're you know set 400 years ago or funny or super serious with theological implications you know whatever the book is to me it feels like it's kind of the same story it circles the same questions about how empowering love is that i think that's mm-hmm. just a preoccupation in all of the things that i write and they have different tones but they are at their core coming from the same place for me yeah. i just wrote my first middle grade novel And it's the first thing I've ever written that doesn't have like an erotic romance at its core, but it Mm -hmm. has a best friend romance, you know, that really intense female friendship between two girls who are pre-puberty. They're not in love or even having crushes yet. They just are deep best friends. And I found that even writing that relationship was so similar to exploring a romance, dealt with so many of the same possibilities and frictions. And so again, it's like, even when I'm going really far away from the thing that I think I do, I'm still doing the thing that I, I do. I agree. My books are all about gray areas of morality and human experience. Mm. That's what every book is about. Like what is right? What is wrong? Do those things exist? And how do we behave in the world morally? You can circle that in any number of ways, but we all have our own personal preoccupations that are, they're going to crop up in our writing no matter what. Agreed. Agreed. And I think as a reader, I like finding those elements and identifying them in in an author. And I can trace that thread through all of their books. And it really does feel like there's an intimacy there. That's true. I'm a big fan of Madeline Miller's books and just reading The Song of Achilles and Circe back to back. And I read Circe a couple of times because I was teaching it. I'm starting to see things, obviously they're both about mythology, but deeper than that, I'm noticing like there are all these things going on with like unloving parents and a, mm-hmm. a child who should have gotten better parents than their luck of the draw dealt them. I do love to notice little tropes like that and think about how they echo throughout the writer's canon. I struggle with it a little bit because I believe in in the death of the author. I, I want the work to stand separate. I think that the author's opinion, even intent sometimes doesn't matter. Once I have written a book, it has passed beyond me, right? And everyone is going to do what they will or will not with it. And I don't think I get to direct that anymore. There is some danger in that too, because I don't want to be misinterpreted, but I also would never tell someone that they're wrong. Sure. Yeah. And they can't, they can't possibly be wrong. I don't think it's funny that you mentioned that because in, in by any other name, when Lainey first meets Noah in person, they have an argument about death of the author and whether oh, that's really? possible and <laughs> who, what Roland Barthes meant in his essay. And uh, yeah, they really pick that one apart <laughs> quite ferociously. I think that's a fascinating question. I do too. Um, I think it's super important. I have to try to, especially in today's world, but it, it stands true for many things. I have to sometimes look at an individual, a writer, an artist, a singer, like whatever they are, if their personal life is something that I find or their public actions are something that I find like reprehensible, but I love their books or I love their songs. I I do struggle with, it's like, okay, how do I handle this? Like, am I supporting them by Mm -hmm. 
buying their books mm-hmm. or their music or interacting with it? Or am I just going to separate the art from the artist and say, I like this song, period. That's tough. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the art is always already separate from the artist, but I, I can imagine some of the artists that you're referencing. And I, I know the struggle. It's a strange struggle, uh, especially to, to be a true fan of someone who you don't agree with. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. If they're already dead, I don't struggle with it as much. <laughs> That's easier. <laughs> don't meet your heroes. I, I haven't, but uh, I also don't really have any. I try very hard to keep those things separate, like we talked about. Keep the art and the artist separate. I think it's important. I really do. I think that you need to experience whatever it is, the piece, apart from knowing anything about the author. Yeah. Um, and if you are driven by what you've experienced that you feel like, oh, I think I could connect with this person. I want to know more about them. It can bastardize both like your experience of the person and the art. So yeah, it's it's a question that I've kind of always had. And um, of course, now moving in the actual world of publishing and authors where I will meet people, I have yet to have the experience where I was like, oh, wow, that was a serious letdown. <laughs> uh, you know, as I child, I was obsessed with Lewis Sacker. I'm still kind of obsessed with Lewis Sacker. And I remember meeting him at a book festival a few years ago and just couldn't not fangirl. I mean, I I really went for it. And he was so kind, very friendly and everything, but it was like, I realized what it's like to be on that side of the equation. And I simply could not hold in my enthusiasm. I became very aware of, uh, I'm meeting a hero. I'm actually doing it. I know that you know this too, like the solitary nature of what we do 95% of our time to ever have somebody say to you, you know, your book meant something Mm -hmm. to me, whether their enthusiasm level is like, you know, off the charts or what, it is a deeply moving experience. Well, it's why I do it. Yeah. Obviously, it's nice to have an income, but I mean, I got an email the other day from someone it literally was identifying the threads in my books and said, you've changed the way that I look at the world. It is a beautiful feeling. And I have yet to be on the other side of that where I just kind of lose my cool. <laughs> but it'll happen. <laughs> it'll it'll happen. happen. You won't be able to rein it in and it'll be good. I, I look forward to making a complete and total ass of myself. <laughs> <laughs> So last thing, why don't you let listeners know where they can find the book by any other name and where they can find you online? You can get the book anywhere books are sold. Online, I my handle is generally Lauren Kate Books everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those spots. And yeah, I would love to connect with, with any readers out there. Vellum, it just works. Best-selling indie author Alex Lydell, whose book Enemy Contact, an enemies-to-lovers romantic suspense, hit number 25 in the Amazon paid Kindle store, has this to say about Vellum. There are always a ton of hang-ups in the publishing process, from the printer running out of ink at just the wrong moment to Amazon rejecting margins. But Vellum has been one program I can depend on. It formats my manuscripts quickly, professionally, and most importantly, in a way that never gets rejected by any online retailers. Visit www.trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. That's 
facebook.com forward slash pants. Vellum. It just works. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.